Make Walters your spot for the Women's World Cup as Team USA looks to three-peat, located across the street from Nationals Park and open seven days a week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing and a drive hit well by Abrams to deep right center. This is way back. Going, going, caught goodbye. And the Nationals add to their lead as he gets a hold of the sinking fastball and drives it out of here. It's the Nationals three and the Giants one. First base side of the rubber, he comes set. And the pitch swung on and lined to left toward the corner. That's going to get down for an extra base and off the wall. Run scores, Manessa's on his way to second, and he's in there with a pop-up slide and a double. As the Nationals add their lead here in the bottom of the fifth inning, it's now Washington 5 and San Francisco 3. Another 3-2 coming to Davis. And that is strike three call. Outside corner, Davis had tossed the bat away, was headed down to first, he gets the bad news. The Jake Urban has just fanned the side looking. He's got a career-high eight strikeouts through six innings. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. What is Dylan Cruz Day in the nation's capital? D.C. on this Saturday belongs to the man who has the initials D.C. D.C. owns D.C. on this Saturday. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off this weekend, but I am joined by the man who runs the operation that is the Nats Chat Podcast, Tim Shovers. The Nationals have agreed on a contract with the man who they took with the number two overall pick in the 2023 MLB Draft, LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz. We expect a press conference on Saturday afternoon. You know, Cruz has been spotted all around the Washington, D.C. area lately, including at Walters. Check out Walters on Twitter, at Walters Bar DC, for a photo of Dylan Cruz hanging out at Walters on Friday evening. And Dylan Cruz perhaps watched the Nats win, a 5-3 win over the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park on Friday night in game one of a three-game series. The Nats now are 39-58. and A lot of good stuff for the Nats in this game on Friday night. But Tim, you are in and around the Nationals Park area all of the time. Have you been hanging out with Dylan Cruz over these last, say, 48 hours? I have not. I have not been at DCA at the airport. I uh, I went to Walters, though, Al, right when I got off the Metro, 
and I just missed him by about an hour. So I am disappointed about that. But also, by the way, do you agree with me that Michael Chavis from afar looks very much like Dylan Cruz, that we have a potential lookalike situation? Uh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I don't think Chavis plays like Cruz, although Chavis did have a good looking RBI double in this game on Friday night. But yeah, I can kind of sort of see that. You know, the thing about Dylan Cruz, of course, is that He's not that tall. He's listed as being like six feet. You know, like James Wood is like this behemoth and Cruz is, you know, a shorter guy. I mean, he looks like an athlete, but, you know, he can blend in. If you don't know what he looks like, he can blend in just because like his size, his body type doesn't initially overwhelm you. But, you know, this is exciting. I mean, it has been a wild last few days in Washington, D.C. sports with the official sale of the commanders and now with Dylan Cruz and I don't know if the Nats are doing this strategically or not, but if they are doing this strategically, I applaud them for this because I think that this is smart. You know, Thursday and Friday were dominated by the sale of the football team. Do your Dylan Cruz day on Saturday because you can own Saturday in a lot of ways. You know, you can make this a big deal. This is a big deal. Number two overall pick, Golden Spikes Award winner, a guy who in most other years would have been the clear cut number one overall pick in an MLB draft. You know, I think Nats fans have every reason to be excited about this guy. I'm excited for this signing and uh, I'm anxious to hear what he'll have to say. And I know that you'll be at the press conference. I will be. Let's recap this week in D.C. sports for late July. Usually not much going on. You got Tuesday night, the MLS All-Star Game Skills Challenge. Wednesday, D.C. sets a record for the largest attendance in MLS All-Star history, and they play Arsenal. Pretty cool quirk there. Thursday, obviously, the NFL vote in Minnesota. The historic day. Congratulations to people like yourself uh, on a new day for your football team. Friday, those good vibes continue, of course, at FedEx Field. And then Dylan Cruz on Saturday. So for what is usually like the slowest time of year on the sports calendar, DC didn't get the memo on that one. That's a great point. It has been a very eventful week. It has been a very good week. And uh, it's nice to be able to say something like that. And it's nice to say that the Nats did win here on Friday night, beating a good Giants team. I mean, the Giants came into Friday tied with the Arizona Diamondbacks atop the National League wildcard standings, but the Nats in this game played a very nice game. Good pitching, good hitting, some good defense. I'd actually like to start with the pitching because we had Jake Irvin as the Nats starting pitcher in this game. And Jake Irvin was coming off an outing in which things did not go so well. A 9-6 loss at the St. Louis Cardinals last Saturday night, a game in which Irvin was bad for the first time in six starts since having his turn in the rotation skipped. He allowed four runs in three innings. Uh, All four of the runs came in the bottom of the second inning. So look, Irvin had been pitching a lot better since having his turn in the rotation skipped. But you know, you saw him struggle in that game at the Cardinals. And with Jake Irvin, I think there is this sort of underlying thought of, okay, he has been pretty good, but what exactly is he? And, you know, is he going to get back to struggling as he was struggling earlier this season off the Nats having uh, called him up from AAA Rochester back on May 3rd? Well, Irvin in this game on Friday night, I thought was really good. His final line, three runs in six and two-thirds innings with nine strikeouts versus one walk. So he pitched into the seventh inning. He had nine strikeouts versus one walk. Gave up just five hits. Uh, Now, two of the hits were home runs, but the other three hits were singles. He threw a lot of pitches. This was interesting. Davey Martinez allowed Irvin in this game to throw 111 pitches, but he threw a lot of strikes too. 75 strikes 
versus 36 balls. The two homers that Irvin gave up, top of the first, a two-out opposite field solo homer by J.D. Davis to right field for a one nothing Giants lead, and top of the third, this was a moonshot, a two-out first pitch, two-run homer by Jock Peterson to the third deck in right field to tie the game at three. Your measurement for StatCast of that home run, 429 feet for StatCast. But I thought it was great to see what we saw from Jake Irvin on Friday night. Really encouraging. Two best starts are against the Giants. That first one out in San Francisco in early May, that was his second start. And sometimes things can be misleading when a guy faces a team for the first time, but he clearly can pitch well against them. You know, his numbers obviously aren't great, but he has had some moments where you're like, okay, this year. And as we go big picture, Al, and we look at the 2024 and the 2025 rotation for the Nets, we obviously know who the plans are for the top three guys in Cavalli, Gore, and Gray. But could Irvin be, let's just say that, I'm not even say the fourth, could Irvin be the fifth starter in 2025, which to me is not a backhanded compliment. I mean, he wasn't even on our radar when we were in spring training of guys that could come up this year. So I think a really solid night by Irvin. And also, you know, Davey right now, he set a pregame. He's going to stretch the starters best he can while dealing with this bullpen over the final two months. And he stretched Irvin, and Irvin came one pitch away from getting through seven. But Irvin really stepped up tonight knowing how little margin of error there is for that Nats bullpen. Yeah, I was so wanting him to get that final out there so you could say three runs in seven innings. Like, that sounds better than three and six and two-thirds. But whatever. Irvin in this game pitched well. And, you know, with the pitch count thing, you know, not every pitch is created equal. And so if you in a game are not putting a lot of guys on base, and Irvin was not, and you in the game are striking a bunch of guys out and pitching well and throwing a lot of strikes as Irvin did, 111 pitches actually like isn't unreasonable. I mean, look, he's a younger pitcher, so you have to be careful with that. But it's different when you do that than, you know, when you throw 111 pitches and you're laboring and you're walking guys and you maybe have like a hit by pitch and a wild pitch and you're throwing a bunch of balls. Like, no, you know, Irvin was in a groove. He was going well. And it's not like he was having these ultra high stress innings. So, you know, I think it was uh, acceptable to do as Davey did here and uh, pushing Irvin a little bit. And, you know, to the point about next season, I mean, look, maybe Jake Irvin is your number four starter. I don't think that that is that far-fetched. You know, we'll see if Patrick Corbin is still on this team post the trade deadline this year. I think he probably will be. But, you know, if you're just going on performance, I mean, Corbin would figure to be your number five for next year. And Irvin, a, a young guy with some upside, you know, maybe ends up being your number four. I think that's what's so interesting about Jake Irvin. I know for myself personally, I frame this season as, you know, who are the building blocks? How are they doing? Can you add to that inventory of building blocks for the Nats in this rebuild. One of the great things that you do in a rebuild is that you add building blocks sometimes internally. In other words, like guys who you didn't really view as building blocks end up being building blocks. Maybe Irvin is one of those guys. You know, nobody was really talking about, hey, Jake Irvin, what is he going to mean for this rebuild moving forward coming into this season? But you know, he's done enough good to where you can at least have that thought. He was struggling for a while. That's true. But, you know, save for that last start, he, since having the turn in the rotation skipped, essentially has been good or at least decent in six of seven starts. That's a nice run here that makes you feel like maybe there's more good to come. Yeah, exactly. And it does seem like everything sort of changed for him after getting that extra rest and getting those 10 days off and skipping a start, which, side note, remember 
last year, Al, I was screaming for Corbin to get a skip in the rotation, and it took forever for Davey to finally do that. But as we go, and we know that Gore and Gray probably are not going to pitch the final few weeks of the season, so they're going to need people to eat up innings. And I do wonder if Irvin will get stretched further as we go along the way. But I am liking what I saw. I'm not getting too excited here. I mean, fourth is the ceiling here. I don't want my words to get twisted here, but you talk about those building blocks, and if you want to win, you need a solid fourth and fifth starter, and maybe this is just a sneaky positive development this season. Absolutely. It also was nice on Friday night to see the Nats bullpen have a clean game. Let me repeat that. The Nats bullpen have a clean game. We know the deal with this bullpen. It has been in a bad way here lately, in part due to injury, but you know, I think mostly just due to guys uh, not having very good seasons. But the Nats pen on Friday night got the job done. Three Nats relievers combined for two and a third scoreless and hitless innings with three strikeouts. Jordan Weems, he faced two batters and got one out, but the one out that he got was a big out. Weems came into the game, top of the seventh, runners at the corners, two outs, and the Nats up 5-3. He walked the first batter he faced. That was no bueno. Issued a two-out walk of a pinch-hitting Wilmer Flores, despite Flores having been down in the count at 1.02. So, you know, if you're watching this game, knowing what has been happening with the Nats bullpen, you're saying to yourself, oh boy, here we go. But Weems then struck out Casey Schmidt swinging for the third out, big out, like I said. Then Jose A. Ferrer, a perfect top of the eighth with two strikeouts. And then Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the ninth for the save. So Weems, Ferrer, Finnegan, not exactly Brandon Kinsler, Ryan Madsen, and Sean Doolittle in uh, 2017 for the Nats. But you know what? For one night, the bullpen was all right. And uh, given the way that things had been, I don't think anyone has taken that for granted. When Irvin went out of the game with two outs in the seventh inning, and you see Weems coming in, and there's trouble on the bases, and you see that Ferrer is warming up in the bullpen, It was like, man, 5-3 really doesn't feel like a whole big lead right now at the moment. But shame on me. They really stepped up there. Weems got the out that he needed. Ferrer, you know, totally stopped San Francisco in their tracks. And then Finnegan, one of his best innings of the season, I would say. And um, I thought it was just a really impressive night. And let's see what we have in Ferrer as he gets more and more opportunities. He's clearly going to get more and more chances just because Davey doesn't have too many guys. So maybe this could be something uh, to keep your eye on here as we tip into August. Davey does seem to like Ferrer. He's brought him up, you know, in talking about the bullpen now without Hunter Harvey and kind of, you know, to whom will Davey turn? And it seems like Ferrer is one of those guys who Davey is eyeing as, okay, I need you to step up. I would say this though, Jordan Weems at times here lately has actually looked quite good. He's had some impressive outings. He's a guy who does strike out guys. And, you know, that's obviously always something that you want in a reliever. I mean, Weems' strikeouts per nine innings now on the season is at 9.25. You know, that's better than Kyle Finnegan's on the year. So, you know, if you're trying to identify, okay, who among these, uh, you know, lesser Nats relievers is a candidate to maybe emerge here down the stretch of the season? And, you know, if this Nats bullpen is going to become competent, you know, with whom might the bullpen become competent? I think Weems is someone who, if he gets on a roll, could maybe be someone who ends up helping out this Nats bullpen down the stretch. But we'll see. I mean, we've also seen Jordan Weems struggle, just as we have seen every Nats reliever this season struggle. But Friday night, uh, a good night for the Nationals bullpen. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck 
on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kaybert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare, for example. Mason has worked with DOJ, SEC, and all kinds of government lawyers to get law firm partnerships at some of the most prestigious firms in the country. He also regularly works with partners at law firms looking to upgrade their platforms or brands to firms to better fit those partners' practices. Or sometimes, okay, let's be honest, often, Mason Kalfas works with partners looking for more money as a fair reward for the business that the partners are bringing in. Even in the quote-unquote slow first quarter of 2023, Mason Kalfas worked with three different lawyers who doubled the compensation their previous law firms were paying those lawyers. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years. In fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. He is Scott Boris-like when it comes to law firm partner contracts, and Mason Kalfas will negotiate you a new and better contract today. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats Chat. Need last-minute tickets to this Nats homestand? Check out the Game Time app. Friday night was date night at the ballpark for the wife and I, and it came through perfectly for last-minute tickets. Avoid the lines at the ticket window with the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about Factor. We on the Nats Chat Podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor is fresh, never frozen meals already in just two minutes, so all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the promo code natschat50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that code natschat50 to get 50% off. 
Here's Lane Thomas swinging, driving one to deep left center field. This is way back. This ball is gone. Goodbye. Into the brew house red seats. Lane Thomas, who had been at a one for 17 skid, the one was a home run, swings at the first pitch he sees here from Alex Wood and drives it over the wall in left center field for a home run number 16, RBI number 52, leading the Nationals in both categories. Bang! Zoom goes Lane Thomas. He's tied the game here at the bottom of the first. It's now the Giants one and the Nationals one. Also on Friday night in this 5-3 win over the Giants at Nationals Park was some good hitting by the Nats and some extra bases by the Nats. The Nats in this game only had seven hits, only drew two walks. We've seen the Nats have games like this in terms of, you know, paltry hit and walk totals and score like two or three runs. But no, the Nats on Friday night scored five runs. Why? Because the Nats were churning out extra base hits in this game. Five of the Nats' seven hits in this game were extra base hits, two home runs and three doubles. Ain't it funny when you hit for power what could end up happening? But you had in this game the two home runs. Lane Thomas homered in this game. You know, Lane Thomas has cooled off here lately. He actually had been in a bit of a slump. But Lane Thomas on Friday night, he did well. He is the Nats' starting right fielder and number two batter, two for four with a first pitch solo homer and a first pitch single. Thomas in the Nats' two-run first inning, a one-out first pitch solo home run on a bomb to left center field to tie the game at one. The homer going a projected 413 feet per stat cast. And Thomas in the bottom of the seventh had a two-out first pitch single. And the other Nat who homered on Friday night... C.J. Abrams, more production from him in that number one spot. Abrams as your national starting shortstop and leadoff batter, two for four with a solo homer, a single, and a stolen base. Abrams in an Nats one-run second, a two-out solo homer to right center field for a 3-1 Nats lead. That homer went a projected 414 feet per stat cast. And Abrams in an Nats one-run fifth, a leadoff single to right field on a 1-2 pitch and a steal of second base. I tell you, of all of the developments for the Nats over these last few weeks now, look, it's hard to ignore the bullpen and some of the bullpen stuff has been brutal. But the bullpen stuff to me isn't necessarily a big picture thing. What is happening with Abrams is a big picture thing. So much better since being bumped up to the number one spot, getting on base, now in recent games, hitting for power. Hard not to be excited about what we're seeing from C.J. Abrams right now. Mea culpa, I was wrong a few weeks back. Uh, I was filling in right when the switch was made for Abrams to become the everyday leadoff hitter. That experiment has worked way better than I could have ever imagined. He seems like a new hitter up there, uh, a breath of fresh air. Really liking what I see. He's really rounding into form as a player, and I'm excited to see what the final few months look like for C.J. Abrams. Just sort of anecdotally feels like he's really made a nice leap here in the past month. Also, Al, I know you um, were on top of this. If someone could send me a breakdown of Lane Thomas's first inning stats versus Brady Anderson in 1996, I would appreciate that. I feel like he has as many home runs as Anderson did that year in the first inning. But anyways, with Abrams, maybe he is a leadoff hitter of the future. I'm not saying for sure, but I thought there was no chance when Davey made this move a few weeks back, and so far I have been dead wrong. So, I mean, the only sort of caveat would be it is a small sample size. I mean, it's nine games for Abrams as the leadoff batter, but the production has been so mammoth and the contrast has been so great in terms of Abrams in the one spot versus Abrams in the eight slash nine spots 
that I don't know how you don't love this. And I don't know how you don't say to yourself, let's just keep seeing this and kind of see where it takes us. C.J. Abrams now over nine games as the Nats' number one batter, a batting average of 405, an on-base percentage of 450, a slugging percentage of 568, an OPS of 1,018. We're seeing him steal more bases. Just, you know, visually, he looks so much better. He looks so much more comfortable. He's having so much better plate appearances. You know, he's playing with a confidence, a conviction that I don't think we were seeing previously. So yeah, just keep it going. This Nats team offensively needs any little bit it can get. And so if you have someone rolling like this, you go with it. And, you know, we've sort of joked about this of, well, Lane Thomas had been doing so well at that number one spot. What's going to end up happening with him? And, you know, sure enough, like I said, he was kind of slumping coming into this game, but he has had good games out of that number two spot since being bumped down. And, you know, I put the phrase bumped down in quotation marks because actually for most teams, batting in the number two spot is uh, of more prestige than batting in the number one spot. But to the item of Lane Thomas in the first innings of games this season, Batting average of 394, OBP of 442, slugging of 704, an OPS of 1,146. So it has been remarkable what this guy has done in first innings. I mean, actually, the Nats have been a good first inning team this season in terms of offensive production. If you just look at the first inning OPSs of like Lane Thomas, Jamer Candelario, Joey Manessis, you know, even Alex Call, Stone Garrett, like, all above 800. Like the Nats have actually done damage in first innings of games. The Nats' issue really has been scoring later in games. You know, save for a handful of games, there hasn't been nearly enough offense from the Nats in innings, say, I don't know, like six through nine this season. But the Nats, in terms of scoring early, actually have been pretty good. Yeah, to that point, Al, obviously the Nats have one of the worst bullpens in Major League Baseball. So, with those late innings where they're not getting the production, clearly they're struggling against these top arms that are coming out, throwing 98 fresh out of the bullpen, which we are not really accustomed to seeing here in D.C. this year. So, yeah, early on is their best chance to get out against starters. I know Alex Wood has been pitching for a long time, but, you know, he's he's a guy you can get to. He's not an elite pitcher by any means. And they jumped out in front of him. And I love seeing that. Set a nice tone for the evening. And Irvin settled in after that. I know he came close to getting out of the first inning unscathed, gave up that run. But for the Nats to bounce right back and to put some runs on the board, you could tell that that lifted Irvin's spirits on the flip side. Yeah. You know, there's a phrase in baseball, the shutdown inning of when you score in the top half of an inning, do you shut down the opposing team in the bottom half of the inning? I don't know if the data actually backs up like the shutdown inning being a thing and having true meaning, but just like psychologically, when you watch a game and your team scores in the top of an inning, but then gives back that run, maybe even more in the bottom of the inning, that is a blow. And the Nats did that to the Giants on Friday night, Giants scoring a run in the top of the first, and then the Nats answering with a two-spot in the bottom of the first inning. Alex Wood on Friday night, five runs in four innings as the Giants starting pitcher. But in terms of these other extra base hits by Nationals players on Friday night, Cape Ruiz as the Nats starting catcher at number five batter, one for four with an RBI double, which came in that Nats two-run first, a one-out RBI double to left field on an 0-2 pitch for a 2-1 Nats lead. Uh, we've seen some nice things from K-Bit Ruiz here lately offensively. The results are starting to match his process. 
We saw Joey Manessis on Friday night as the Nats starting DH and number four batter go one for three with an RBI double and a walk. Manessis in that Nats one run fifth, a two out RBI double to left field for a 5-3 Nats lead. And we had Michael Chavis and not Dominic Smith as the Nats starting first baseman on Friday night. Smith did come into the game off the bench, but Chavis one for two with that RBI double that I mentioned. Uh, Chavis in the Nats one run fourth, a tie-breaking RBI double to left field for a 4-3 Nats lead, although he then was picked off at third base for the second out. I got to tell you, I've been keeping an eye on Luis Garcia because, again, going back to this issue of the building blocks, you know, Garcia to me is one of those guys who, you know, he's young, he's talented, you want to see him do well. He's not doing well lately. Garcia on Friday night as an ad starting second baseman and number eight batter went 0 for 3. You know, Abrams being moved up meant that someone was going to be moved down. And the guy who really ended up falling in the lineup was Luis Garcia. He had been the Nats regular number two batter. He's now the Nats regular number eight batter. And, you know, he has not quote unquote responded uh, to his change in the lineup. Luis Garcia now on the season Batting average of 263, which is all right, but an on-base percentage of 299. I mean, he just does not draw walks and a slugging percentage of 367. His numbers really have fallen. You know, I remember not long ago, you and I doing a show together and us talking about Luis Garcia and saying, you know, actually, when it comes to him versus K-Bear Ruiz versus C.J. Abrams, you very much could argue that Garcia was having the best season out of those three guys. That was a few weeks ago. Nobody's saying that right now. Rough July for him. He's hitting 188, so he's well below the Mendoza line. And then his OPS is even the more troubling one. 481, Al, this month. Now, again, one month, and it's it's the weirdest month on the baseball calendar in July. So it's been a rough month for him, but I still say pound for pound, you know, where we were with Luis Garcia in April or May of 2022, we've made great strides. So I'm not going to get too down on him. But yes, for all the great things that Abrams has done in the last few weeks, it's been the reverse for Garcia for sure. Yeah, would love to see Garcia end his season strong. Maybe he will be. I mean, he was on a pretty good roll not too long ago, but lately things have not gone so well. So Dylan Cruz press conference we anticipate on Saturday afternoon. I don't know, maybe he'll throw out the first pitch, something like that. That certainly would be nice. What do you think it will be like with Cruz? He, you know, he doesn't figure to be in the minors for long. The way that we've talked about it is, you know, in season, next season is a pretty realistic target, I think, for him to be bumped up to the majors. Now, look, he has to do well in the minors, but I don't think this is a guy who Mike Rizzo is looking at as someone who needs to be in the minors for long, okay? I mean, this guy was a stud at LSU. He can be a five-tool star. There's no need to waste his at-bats in the minors when you can have him uh, raking for you in the majors. So I think you take the service time thing into consideration. You don't start next season with him at the major league level. But, you know, once the requisite time has passed, I think the green light should be there to bring him up to the major league level. But do you think there's going to be a lot of hype for Dylan Cruz? Do you think not as much? You know, we've grown accustomed to, you know, Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg. Those guys are almost in categories all to those guys' own in terms of hype, right? And those were special circumstances. What do you think it will be like, though, with the watch on Dylan Cruz for him to get to the majors? I think he will be the most hyped Nats prospect in the minors since Harper. Strasburg or Harper were a different category, as you said. Rendon never got the headlines like that. 
Soto might have for the true seam heads, but I don't think Soto's time in the minors really made it into mainstream Nats fans' radar. And the team was winning as well, right, at the major league level. So, you know, people weren't paying attention as much as what's going on in the minors. I think it's going to be, I don't want to say a circus, but it's going to be the biggest hoopla we've seen since. Like, there were times where Mark, for instance, and the other beat reporters, they would be covering the minor league games for Harper or Strasburg when the big league team was playing. I think you're going to see something similar to that when Cruz is going to be playing in Bowie, when Harrisburg is visiting them, for example, when he's in double A, that's going to be a bit of a bigger deal than it's been for, let's say, Wood or Hassel or Brady House that you know we have right now this week. My guess is he'll start, I guess, in West Palm, right, where, you know, go down to the, to the complex. But will he even go to, to Fred Nats or will they put him in Wilmington after that at some point? And I could see him having a short stay in Wilmington at high A and then really spending the bulk of his time in double A at Harrisburg. And then my guess is a quick stay with Rochester in triple A just to see how he is against a little bit more veteran pitching. But let's say by June 1, July 1, 2024, I expect him to be up in Navy Yard. Yeah, I think as things stand right now, that's the feeling. And you know, you feel almost silly saying that because how often do you talk about that with a first round pick? But, you know, number two overall pick, Golden Spikes winner, the upside is to the moon. I mean, I think that's the way to look at it. And, you know, we still have the rest of this season to go, but I think it is impossible if you're a Nats fan not to think about 2024 from a standpoint of Dylan Cruz, James Wood, Brady House, Cade Cavalli could all be playing for the Nats at the major league level next year. At this time next year, maybe even before this time next year, you know, maybe even by June of next year, who knows? But I mean, Wood and House already are at double A. Cruz, like you said, figures to be at double A sooner rather than later. Cavalli's coming off Tommy John, so we'll see how his recovery goes. But, you know, why shouldn't all four of those guys potentially be playing for the Nats at the major league level this season? Heck, I'll throw in another name, Jackson Rutledge. You know, Jackson Rutledge really has taken off over the last year or so. If he continues to track well, why couldn't he be a part of the Nats rotation next season? So, you know, I don't think it's like pie in the sky talk to be thinking about these things. Like, I think this is plausible. Now, you know, things can go awry and you can't just assume all of this is going to be the case. But... I think all of this could be the case. Yeah, I mean, let's go back in time to when everything fell apart in July of 2021, just before the trade deadline, that infamous you know, sweep in Camden Yards when the Orioles were in a much different state. It was like, okay, this season's done. 2022 is done. 2023, probably done, but it will be a bit better. And we saw that in May, really. But we're almost done with this now. I mean, 2024 opening day is not that far away. And I'm not saying I expect the Nats to be in the playoffs next year. Though in a world with three wild cards, I don't immediately dismiss really anyone unless you're Oakland or Kansas City. So my point is we're so close to getting through this rough patch that we've been dealing with that has felt interminable for the last two years. But I tell you, Nats fans, as you said, you just named all of those guys. That's a lot of talent right there that you just said, Al. We are so, so close to getting through the worst of this rebuild, and uh, who knows what will happen next year, but it does feel like much brighter times are ahead, and we're closer to being around that corner than we maybe thought. Yeah, what I think next year could be for the Nats, you know, you just mentioned the Orioles. Next year could be what last year was for the Orioles, where 
maybe you're not a playoff team, but you make that big step forward. You know, like you get a win total in the 80s and you're a factor again. And you feel like, okay, now this team really is on the doorstep of ending the rebuild, of graduating from that rebuild status. So, you know, look, maybe the Nats have one of these, you know, incredible turnaround seasons in which the team does make the postseason next year. But the way I would sort of look at it is, okay, this year is going to end up being, you know, a 90 loss season, you know, maybe a 100 loss season, who knows, but maybe not. But next year could be that year where you have that big step forward to where, you know, you end up at 500, maybe even above 500, you know, contending for a wild card spot well into the season. I think that's doable. I think that that's plausible. So we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, a year ago at this time, we could not talk like this. It's nice that we can talk like this right now. And you won't get laughed out of a room, okay? You would have gotten laughed out of a room having the conversation that we're having right now a year ago. Now, no, I think it's a different story. Definitely. 2022, Man, was that a horrible season of baseball. Man. <laughs> I mean, what what was worse? The first four months of 2022 or the last two months of 2021? I don't know. But that was six straight months of just wretched, wretched baseball. And if you could survive that, you could survive anything in baseball, I say. That's true. Hey, if it doesn't kill you, it only makes you stronger. That is true in life. That is also true in baseball. So you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Hit us up, see what we can do for you. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to our website, NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. With the number two pick in the 2023 MLB draft, The Washington Nationals select Dylan Cruz, an outfielder from LSU. The Detroit Tigers have the next pick. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.